0: Uh, greetings from Emmanuel Baptist Church, and uh, we uh, do think of you and we do pray for you. Uh, and uh, I was told a, a couple of, uh, I think weeks ago or maybe months ago, a few of our young people came up to help with the music. Uh, they were up here, you may remember Daniel and Jen, maybe not. Uh, and I remember I, I spoke to them because they uh, they came back. I said, how was it? And they said, oh, it was, it was so encouraging. They, they loved it here. They said, everyone was so warm and friendly and And uh, and they just really felt loved and welcomed, and and I have to say I agree with them. I have so been uh, welcomed, and I thank you so much for your hospitality and uh, just making us feel right at home. It's always uh, sometimes you never know uh, when you're going to preach somewhere you haven't preached before, what you're going to uh, encounter. Uh, But you have made it easy, and I feel very comfortable and at home. So thank you so much for that. Uh, If you uh, have your Bibles, please turn in them or turn them on. If if that's your uh, if that's your flavor, I'm, I'm old school. I, I still have and I still love uh, paper Bibles. Um, they're just a bit more personal. I heard someone say the other day that uh, reading a Bible on a screen is like trying to kiss your wife through a screen door. Um, <laughs> you can do it, but it's just not quite the same, is it? Uh, but no offense. Uh, sorry if you have a, a, a screen Bible. I uh, hope I didn't offend you with that. But... Um, 1 John chapter 5, and uh, we won't read the text again. It was uh, read just before. But uh, would you pray with me as uh, we commit this time in His Word to Him, our Heavenly Father? We thank You so much for the opportunity uh, to open Your precious Word, and I thank You, Lord, for this uh, blessed church, uh, the people that You have gathered here t- t- together. We thank You that that the church is 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 the 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 physical. Uh, representation of the grace and the mercy of God. And I thank you for everyone here this morning. And Lord, you know each one. You know where we are with you. You know uh, whether or not we are in the faith or not. You know uh, where our struggles are and where our doubts are. And so I pray that as the Word of God is explained, I pray you'd help me to do it clearly and accurately And hide me behind the cross of Jesus. We thank you for these things in his name. Amen. There has always been throughout church history, uh, you can go right back to the early church uh, and right through church history up until today, uh, some confusion uh, at times around the nature, the importance, and the purpose of faith in Christianity. Uh, I mentioned in my uh, little interview before that uh, my family religious background started off in the Roman Catholic Church. My parents were brought up in that church, and I started out my uh, life going uh, most Sundays to uh, the Catholic Church, and certainly that church does talk about faith uh, quite regularly. However, the definition or their understanding of faith is significantly different than I believe the Bible actually teaches in regards to what it means and how it is applied and how important is it in the nature of our Christian life. So we think about what is faith? How do we exercise faith? And what is the importance of it in the Christian life? Even today in so-called modern evangelical or Protestant or whatever sort of term we want to use, Christianity, there is sometimes a misconception about the role that faith plays in our everyday lives as Christians. Some kind of view it as this kind of impersonal force that we all can kind of exercise or use to manipulate circumstances or even manipulate God to get what we want or to achieve some kind of purpose or goal that we have. There has been an explosion of books in recent years, seminars, teachings, and all sorts of false notions uh, about what faith is and how Christians should should think about it. Some, in various circles, teach that it's kind of this power that a Christian possesses or maybe doesn't possess in various quantities or qualities uh, that we can use to yield uh, and wield as we please. Uh, For example, there's a a very famous uh, Bible teacher, supposedly Bible teacher, I'm not going to name names this morning, but they say this about faith. They say that God wields incomparably great power for those who choose to believe. Read it again. Incomparably great power, more than enough to break the yoke of bondage. Our belief unclogs the pipe and invites the power to flow. So if we have enough faith, we can unclog whatever barriers are there from stopping God from achieving whatever He wants to achieve in our life. Another uh, very uh, well-known supposed Bible teacher says this, that faith is a powerful force and it can turn any situation around. Learn what faith is and how to use it today. This is kind of on his website. He says, it's faith that reaches into the realm of the spirit, takes hold of the promises of God, and brings forth a tangible, physical fulfillment of those promises. It brings spiritual blessings. It brings the car you need or the healing for your body. Faith brings action in this earth. Romans 5.2 says, we have access by faith into the grace of God. Therefore, if you want grace for the new birth, you must receive it by faith. If you want God's grace for healing, you must receive it by faith. If you want God's grace in your finances or any other area of your life, you must get it by faith. When you believe the word of God, you open the window of your life to give God the opportunity to move there. Let God move in your life and start believing his word and live by faith. Well, that sounds very appealing, doesn't it? If you need more finances, if you need a better car, a better job, uh, a spouse, uh, or whatever it is, or healing in your body, if you just have enough faith or the right kind of faith, that is what gives God the opportunity, as if God is somehow restricted uh, by us to do as he pleases on the earth, and that unleashes, if you would, the power of God. And so the implication for that, therefore, is if you are not experiencing the job, the finances, the health, the wealth, or whatever it is that you want to experience, that is obviously because you do not possess enough or the right kind of faith. This leads a lot of people, a lot of Christians, becoming and ending up very disillusioned and discouraged and despondent about God and about Christianity because their assumption is is that faith is kind of like the force. You know, And if we become a good enough Christian, like a Jedi, uh, we can learn to manipulate circumstances and things in our life to get what we desire. Now, like in any kind of false teaching, there's always elements of truth that are weaved in and mixed in with some of these concepts. For example, yes, it is true that if we, need the, if we desire the grace of God, that it is received by faith and faith alone. That is true. But as there's always a bit of elements of truth in any false teaching, that does not necessarily make all the rest of these statements true. There there are plenty more examples out there, but of course one of the favorite uh, passages of these kind of teachers and preachers is is the ones that are even before us. For example, in verse 4, it says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And that verse, or these verses are often used to see, see, you can overcome any obstacle. You can do whatever you want. uh, And uh, because if you just have enough faith, then you can do whatever is in your heart's desire to do. Now, we want to put all of these verses in their right context, not only in the immediate context, but also in the context of the entire book of 1 John. Uh, 1 John is a a fantastic book. I love the book, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, But John, the writer, who, of course, is the author of the Gospel of John and the author of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation, he he gives us very clearly what his entire purpose of his book is is, of this particular book is. And and he mentions it a few times throughout his book, and uh, he he always prefaces these statements. In other words, why am I writing to you with the words, so that, or in order that, whatever. I'm writing to you in order that, or so that, you might something. Uh, And so to get sort of just the idea of what the whole ethos of First John is, you can look at 1 John, for example, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you to let you know of the things that we, the disciples, the apostles, have seen and heard. Why? So that you can participate in the same fellowship that we have with God, and you can have fellowship with one another. That's chapter one, verse three. Then verse four, he says, "'And we are writing these things so that your joy may complete.'" Be complete. Well, isn't that a wonderful way to start a letter? I'm writing to you so that your joy may be full and overflowing. Uh, This is the purpose of my letter, I want your joy to be full and overflowing. Verse, Chapter two, verse one, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And this is how our joy overflows, isn't it? Because there's no joy in sin. They are not mutually compatible. They are mutually exclusive. Sin is the robber of joy. Sin is the thief of joy. Sin destroys our joy. So John says, I want your joy to be complete And so I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's my desire for you. And that's every pastor's desire. That's every, should it be every Christian's desire is that we may not sin, to be free from sin. And then chapter two, verse 20, he says this again. He says, um, but you have, uh, 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 sorry, uh, sorry, uh, uh, chapter two, verse 20 that's not you ah verse verse 21 I write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know the truth and because no truth sorry because no lie is of the truth he wants to affirm the truth about God and then lastly in our text chapter 5 verse 13 he says this I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know that you have eternal life John's desire is that we may know that we may have assurance, that we may walk away from his letter, from his book, and from our sermon this morning with either an assurance, a greater assurance of our salvation in Christ, or that we might be confronted about our false faith that needs to be corrected. And that's what the book of 1 John is. It's it's like walking a tightrope As you walk through the book, because it's both trying to provide the true believer with wonderful assurances, the doubting Christian who's struggling to to really believe whether or not he's truly saved or he's truly in the faith, to give them those comforting assurances that this is the evidence that you are a child of God, but it's also there to give the warning for those who are presumptive, who assume that because maybe they were born and raised in church, or they go to church all the time, or whatever it is, that they assume that they're truly in the faith, to warn them not to be presumptive of their faith. So today, this brings us, kind of with that in mind, to our text this morning in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 13. We're going to kindly mainly hang out in the first four or five verses, uh, but we will kind of reference the rest of it a, a bit as well. As we talk about this idea of faith, and if you want a title for my sermon, the sermon's title is, Faith is the Victory um, and so, first of all, I want to talk about the origin of our faith. Where does, where does our faith come from? Um, we know that faith is necessary for salvation. Uh, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, "...for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast." All right, so salvation is by God's grace alone through faith alone. So faith is essential. But what is faith and where does it come from? Well, the, the word faith in simplistic terms simply means a, a firm persuasion or a belief or trust. Okay, that's basically, I guess, a, a definition of faith. It's a firm persuasion or a belief, but it goes beyond just simply believing something. It goes to the point of trusting something. Uh, You can say, I believe something, but if you don't demonstrate your trust in that belief, then it's evident that you don't really believe it. Uh, Faith has to go to the point of trust. Right now, all of you are trusting in the engineering of the chairs that you are sitting on, okay? Uh, You may believe that it can hold you up, uh, but if you don't sit down in it, you obviously don't trust it. But right now, you're trusting it. And and the word believing there, he says, everyone who believes, that's simply just the verb form of the word faith, okay? It's just uh, faith in action, okay? You believe something. And we know that faith is a requirement for salvation. As I mentioned, one of the five solas of the Protestant Reformation is that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, Uh, The great reformer, Protestant reformer Martin Luther was converted and transformed by this very truth as he read in his Bible that the just man shall live, why, how? By his faith. That's what spurred him and and really birthed this this whole rebirth in him, this whole idea of justification being by faith alone. But you see, faith in this context is, is not just a random firm persuasion or belief in trust. It's a what? It's a belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, okay? So saving faith is a firm persuasion that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and is trusting Him and Him alone for salvation, so really what we say is faith is that, that entry point into the family and the kingdom of God. But where does this faith come from? Have you ever asked yourself that? Uh, I, I've had asked myself that question a number of times, especially as I go along in my Christian journey. And I, and I often ask, why, why did I believe? Have you ever thought, why do I believe? I mean... Everybody has the same information. Everybody has the same evidence. Everybody has, not everybody, but most people have access to the Bible. You can get it online. You can go to bookstores and buy one. I grew up in church, mostly, and a lot of my friends have walked away and do not believe. They've turned their back. I've had that experience in pastoral ministry Uh, There's been times in my life where my faith has been shaken. Why do I believe? Why do you believe? Where where does my faith come from? Why is it that, that two people can be sitting in a church and hear the exact same sermon, and one of them responds in repentance and faith, and the other one turns around and walks away? Is it that the one who responds is smarter, cleverer, better, uh, anything like that is, that, is that why they respond? It's a good question for us to ask. Where does faith come from? Well, it's, it, I love how it's put here, and the ESV translates it really well. Everyone who believes, okay, everyone who is believing, and, and the word believing there, or believes, is is the present active verb, okay? Uh, in other words, it's, it's a continually active, Thing that's happening—it's not that I believed once; it's that I am believing, and I'm continuing to believe. Everyone who is believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and this is the kicker, has been born of God. Okay, has been born of God. And, and this is this is important. I think the, the 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 grammar here is really important, and and I know that, and I'm not a, a Greek scholar in any way, uh, but but it is helpful, I think, and I often say that. Uh, learning uh, Greek was really helpful because it made my English a lot more gooder. Um, uh, but uh, but, the, but the, the verb tenses here are important because belief isn't, the believing is an active, right? Now, I know I'm stretching maybe our, our high school grammar a little bit here, but if we remember that when a verb is in the active voice, the subject is doing the action, okay? So a person is believing, they are doing the action. But when it's in the passive voice, it means the subject is receiving the action, all right? And the word has been born of God, it's in the passive voice. So you're the recipient of this thing called the new birth. He says, if you are believing that Jesus is the Christ, it means that you have been born of God. That faith is the response or the product of what the Bible calls the new birth. Remember John chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, no man can come to the ki- can enter the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again. Born again. And Nicodemus is confused. What do you mean born again? What am I supposed to enter and back into my mother's womb and be born again? He doesn't understand. And Jesus says to him, "Are you a teacher in Israel and you do not understand these things?" This is not a new concept. This is right back in the Old Testament when, Jesus, when God promised the nation of Israel under the new covenant that they would have a new heart, that their old heart of stone would be replaced with a heart of flesh. That's, that's basically talking about this idea of being born again. Now, I know that that term kind of gets thrown around you know, willy-nilly these days, and, and sometimes we're a bit ashamed you know, to think, uh, you know, some people use the term, oh, I am a born again, and you think, oh, they're a bit weird. Um, but that's a biblical term, and it's a wonderful term. In other words, it's like this. It's like faith is, the, is the, the cry, as the Bible says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Faith is that first cry of, of calling out to God after you have been born again, like a new baby is born. You know, you, baby is born, and what's the first thing they do when they come out? They, they cry. There's a voice that comes out. Um, and it never stops for the rest of their life, um, uh, you know, all through the night, yeah. And uh, that's that's the that's the evidence. What is it? That's the evidence that birth has occurred and the child is alive. And so, this is what he's saying everybody who has is believing that Jesus is the Christ has already been born of God, in other words, your faith does not produce your regeneration. Your regeneration produces your faith. Now, it's very instantaneous. It's not quite clunky uh, as sometimes we may sort of think about it, but this is all through Scripture. For example, Romans nine sixteen says this, "'It is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, "'but it is of God who shows mercy.'" I can't will myself into favor with God. I can't will myself into belief. It is God who shows mercy upon sinners so that they can believe. Philippians 2, 13, for it is God who works in you both to will, that's the desire, and to perform his good pleasure. All right? So God produces the want to, and he produces the doing. All right? God does all, God does all of this. John 1, 12 verses, uh, sorry, John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe on his name, Okay, those who believe on his name who were born, that's passive again, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So as I said, saving faith is like that breath of the newborn baby that they take, uh, or that cry that a newborn baby takes when it's born. And they cry out for the first time. Uh, these are the effect of the regenerative, supernatural saving grace and work of the Lord God in your hearts and minds. So to kind of summarize that point there, the origin of our faith, where does our faith come from? Uh, it doesn't come up from, from my cleverness. It doesn't come out of even my upbringing. Yes, faith is, comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God, so the spirit of God takes the word of God that is implanted in your heart and produces saving faith in us so that none of us can boast. None of us can boast. You know, it's, it's interesting, and I appreciate the question that was directed to me earlier, and I think maybe 10 years ago I would have answered the question differently of how did I become a Christian. A lot of times, and, and I would attest to this, that when people would ask that question, I would respond by saying, well, I... I, I, and I've learned through, by God's grace, that it's not, well, I, it's, well, he, 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 he died for me, he rose again. And for some unknown reason to me, in God's sovereign grace, opened my eyes. Why me? I have no idea. I have no idea. But that is why we always must be truly grateful and thankful if there is saving faith in our hearts. So there's the, the origin of our faith. So everyone who is believing that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's a work of God that takes place in our life. And then let's go to the object of our faith. And I, I think Dan pretty much preached this point of my sermon earlier, so thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, chapter five, verse one, okay, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And then verse five, he says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Then look at verse 11 to 13. And this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. Okay, here's the Here's the witness, here's the testimony that God has given to us eternal life and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I write these things to you that you may believe in the name of the Son of God and that you may know, confidence, assurance that you have eternal life. How, how, how do we know that our faith is saving faith, that our faith is genuine. Well, as I said, faith is a firm persuasion or a belief and trust, but we know that faith can be misguided. Uh, Faith can be in things that are not faithful. Interestingly, this morning, I was just reading a news article uh, as I was kind of eating breakfast this morning and um, looking at the The results of the election down, the state election down in Victoria, and the re elected state premier made a statement that stood out to me. And it's one that I've heard, I think, regularly over the last couple of years. But he said, We won because Victorians had faith in science. Now, I'm not going to get into a scientific debate with you this morning. And certainly there are times when we do trust, and we have to trust in certain things for medical help or whatever it is, but I thought that was an interesting statement, that that's how he believed that science and these type of things should be viewed, that it's something we have faith in. And again, like I said, it's not wrong to have faith in in scientific achievements for certain purposes. But science, for example, is not something that we put our saving faith in. It should never be something we put our saving faith in. But faith is a a firm persuasion or trust, but what is it supposed to be in? And it's very clear. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So Jesus Christ is the object of the Christian's faith. Uh, Faith in anything else or anyone else will not lead to eternal life. There is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. There is one name. His name is Jesus. And he is the only one who is worth or able to carry you from this life into the next life in eternity. But, you know, it's important that we get even Jesus right, because there's a lot of different Jesuses out there, isn't there? Okay? Uh, There's a lot of people who portray Jesus in a certain way. They portray Jesus as merely a prophet, or portray Jesus as merely a teacher, or portray Jesus as a social revolutionary or portray Jesus as a uh, I've even heard people say that Jesus is a socialist. You know, I've heard Jesus is a is as a political revolutionary. Jesus is is a, is an example for us. Jesus is this. No, no. If we are to have saving faith, it's very clear that we must believe that Jesus is the Christ. What is that? It's the one prophesied in the Old Testament, the one revealed or hidden in the Old Testament pictured Throughout all the Old Testament, the Messiah, the one whom God anointed and was going to send, it says that everyone who must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, this is in reference to His deity, that He is God in the flesh. Everyone must believe this. You can't just believe in a Jesus that you create in your own mind. We must believe the Jesus who is revealed to us in Scripture. And it is the object of our faith which is, which is far more important than the strength of our faith, and illustrated beautifully earlier by Dan, you know, you can have uh, lots of faith in a weak object, and it doesn't matter how much faith you have, if the object of your faith is not strong, you can believe all you want, but if that bridge is not strong enough to hold you, it doesn't matter how much you believe, you're going down. Or you could have very weak faith in something that is strong. It doesn't matter the strength of your faith. You walk out on it, and it's because of the strength of the object that it is able to hold you. You know, at a basic level, our faith is, is in many ways childlike, and I think just hearing from you, I'm sure that in many ways some of your testimonies is like mine, that you heard of Jesus when you were young, you believed to a degree of your ability You have a childlike faith, you trust, okay? And and even though it's a childlike faith and there is a childlike faith, Jesus welcomed the children to come to him. He brought the children near to him. Children should learn and they can trust in Jesus uh, to their own understanding. But then as we grow and as we understand and as the word of God becomes more alive to us, Our faith, which was childlike, ought to grow and mature, and it's not that the object of our faith changes, but it's our faith and our trust in that object which grows. God makes it very clear that as we grow and mature in our faith, we come to see that Jesus Christ is is far more than just simply a get-out-of-hell-free card, but that He is the very friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the one that is the very source of our life. And He is the one who is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He is the all-sufficient Savior, and He is all-sufficient for everything that we need in this life and in the next, and our faith grows. So faith really is only as strong as the object in which it is in. And only faith, trust, in the saving and finished work of the person of of Jesus Christ will result in eternal life. These things have I written to you that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is not in your faith. This life is in His Son. Where's your faith this morning? Is your faith in your church attendance, your church membership, your good works, your donations to good causes? Those are all worthy things. But those don't produce saving faith. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees, the the religious ones, didn't he? He told them over and over and over again that there will be many at that final day who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do? Did we not cast devils out in your name? Did we not do all of these things? And yet the Father says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Those are the most frightening words in all of Scripture. Terrifying. Uh, Those are not words for the preacher to cast stones at his congregation. Those are for the preacher to look in the mirror himself. For you as well. Where's our faith? Where's our faith? Thirdly, I want us to see the, the outworking of our faith. Salvation is by faith alone, it's not by works, but saving faith is a faith that works. In other words, there's an evidence for it, okay? There's, there's evidence for it. Verse 2, he says, "...by this we know," okay? Here's how we know. "...by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments." For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So, so how do we know? How, how do we know if we have saving faith or not? Well, obviously, if we, we, could, we, first of all, need to profess faith in Christ, but how do we know if we possess faith in Christ? Well, there's evidence for it, okay? There's, there's an outward uh, demonstration that God has changed our hearts, that we are trusting in Him. How do we know? Well, saving faith always produces a living faith. This is the book of James, really. This is the emphasis of the book of James. I mentioned Martin Luther earlier. Martin Luther was uh, uh, a uh, champion of of Orthodox Christianity in many ways and and turned the world upside down in, in many ways by really igniting, not that it was his intention to do so, but igniting what we now call the Protestant Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther just hammered this point of, of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, justification by faith alone, and uh, he struggled. He actually didn't like the book of James uh, because the book of James mentions the word works quite often. Uh, but the book of James is, is not at all a book which contradicts the writings of Paul or of Jesus in implying that salvation is a combination of faith and works, but James is simply trying to demonstrate that faith without works is a dead faith. In other words, it's, it's not real. It's not a living faith uh, that we can say we have faith, but if that does not produce anything in, in us, then maybe we should question whether our faith is genuine or not. And John picks up on this in many ways, and he, and he gives two evidences for how we know that saving faith is, is real. He says, first of all, we will have a love for the brethren. He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. How do we know that we, uh, that, uh, that we love the Father and that faith is genuine? It says we love the children of God. We love God's people. We love whom God loves. Now, granted, and if you've been in church as long as I have, it's difficult sometimes to love the people of God. God has all kinds of different people in his family. I always wonder to myself, though, if if, uh, I often kind of say that there are some people that are harder to love than others, I I always wonder, maybe I'm one of those ones that's hard to love. Uh, I don't think I am. Of course, nobody ever thinks that they are. Uh, But maybe I am. I guarantee you there have been lots of people, there still are, lots of people who struggle to love me in, in, in our church. But in general, we have a love for the people of God that we love to be in the presence of the people of God, that that his commandments, first of all, to gather with the saints, it's not a burden. It's not a burden. Do I have to go to church again? We get to come. And I don't know about you, but I felt it during those past two years, preaching to an empty building. I couldn't wait as soon as we could, the doors were open. Come back. Gather together. Because we love to be together. It don't ought to be a burden for us to get up and gather with the people of God. We we love God's people. I've heard many people say, well, I, I love Jesus. I just can't stand the church. Well, then you don't understand the love that Jesus has for the church because He died for His church. He shed His blood for His church. And he calls us to gather together. We, we not only love the brethren, but we have a love for God or his law, his commandments. Notice the transformational attitude towards the law of God. All right, the law of God uh, was a burden. All right? It was something we didn't enjoy. We didn't love. Uh, you know, we, we, we avoided. We rebelled against. We fought against. But now he says, but anyone who is full of the love of God, who has been born of God, overcomes the world, and this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Now our attitude, our whole attitude changes from oh, I despise the law of God to oh, I love, I delight in the law of God. Because it's in the law of God that I see God's righteousness, that I see God's mercy, that I, that I see him pointing me to the Lord Jesus Christ. I see the fullness of joy in when I'm walking in obedience to him rather than when I'm rebelling in him thinking that joy comes through sin rather than realizing that joy comes through obedience. And so the outworking of our faith is this. You know, a child often, as I'm sure we can all attest to, often resists and despises the laws of their parents. They don't understand. Why do I have to eat my vegetables? Why do I have to go to bed at 8 o'clock? Now, I'm like 40 years old. I'm almost 40. I'm like, man, can I please go to bed at 8 o'clock? I would love to go to bed at 8 o'clock. I never get there, but... Oh, man, I would love that. They don't understand the restrictions that their parents put onto them. And then they get older and more mature, and they think, yeah, my parents weren't as stupid as I thought they were. They begin to delight because they see the wisdom of their father and their mother. And that's the way it is for a child of God. We're transformed to what we used to hate, now we love. Love. And then fourthly, not only we see the outworking of our faith, but lastly, we see the overcoming power of our faith. And verses four to five says this very clearly, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Now again, this is this is where a lot of people camp out when they talk about faith. You see, faith says we can overcome things. Uh, you know, we can overcome every difficulty. We can overcome all these things. We just need more faith. We need stronger faith. Now, I want to reiterate, there is an element of truth to that, but it's not the way that it's often portrayed as in God will always give us what we desire in those situations, but it's the ability to trust God, to know God, and to not be despondent or dejected by the world around us. When he says we have overcome the world, what's what's the world? Well, the Bible uses the world in a few different ways, but here it's talking about the, the evil world system that we all are amongst, okay? Christians are in the world, but we are not to be of the world. We are in this world. We are pilgrims passing through. This world is not our home anymore. That world is coming. And we look to that world. We we anticipate the new heavens, the new earth, uh, with Jesus forever where there's no sin, there's no death, there's no sorrow, there's no tears. But in the meantime, we're here. And we're amongst a world that is rapidly and, and ever increasingly becoming more rebellious and hostile Towards the things of God and towards the things of Jesus Christ. And I don't have to go into this, the you know, how you know things have changed. I'm sure there's many people here who attest to the way that the world has changed over so many years. But he says for the Christian, our faith in Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Now it's fascinating. I love John uses this word overcomer. It's one of his favorite words. He uses it a lot in the revelation. Uh, and it comes from the Greek word, and I think you guys will all be familiar with this word. It's the Greek word nike. Some of you are wearing it today. Um, Where's is, where is the, where the Patriots fan? Is he out, oh, he's outside. Yeah, okay. I'm sure his Patriots shirt... I don't know why you allow a New England Patriots fan to pray in church, but anyway, <laughs> that's another story. Uh, his shirt may be produced by this word, which we now call Nike, okay? Uh, Nike. It's the, it means victory or victorious. Uh, the Greeks, uh, there was a Greek god, Nike or Nike, uh, who would go before Zeus, or in their mythology, would go before Zeus and provide the victory for Zeus's battles. Uh, and so, um, uh, so John very cleverly uses this word, and it really strikes at the heart of Greek culture, which, which thought that, that these gods or these goddesses were the ones that provided them victory in, in life. But he says this is... You, the Christian, the lowly, poor, dejected, rejected Christian, can be an overcomer. Because of what? Because of our faith. But it's not the strength of our faith, it's who our faith is in, in Jesus Christ. He says, This is who is he that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Our faith in Christ has overcome the world. This does not mean that faith has the power to remove every obstacle in life, that your boss, if you have enough faith, you can remove him, okay? This is not the force. You can just move things all around to just walk freely in life. This is not the ability to open the window of your life to allow God to move in. What is it? It is the ability to walk in trust throughout the world that we are called to live in. It doesn't mean that we're unaffected by the world. It doesn't mean that we're not impacted by the evil that is around us. But it means that we have overcome, we are not overwhelmed by all that goes around us. And I know that's easy for us to become, isn't it? It's easy, so easy to get consumed. By all that is evil that is going on in the world around us. What does this look like? There's some examples in the New Testament, isn't there? Paul and Silas in chains, singing, singing while they're in jail. Paul's confidence as he's being shipped off to Rome to be bound in chains. And at every opportunity he gets along the way, he shares Christ with rulers and with sailors and with people on the island of Malta, everywhere he goes. In other words, my circumstances don't determine my joy. Christ determines my joy. Peter's ability to stand boldly in Jerusalem and preach the gospel to his countrymen, even when they told him not to, he said, we must obey God rather than men. And you can put us in chains, you can kick us out, you can beat us, whatever it is. We're going to get right back up and we're going to keep going because God has called us and commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. All the members of Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, they overcame through faith the things that were pressing up against them. You see, there is an overcoming power of faith, but it doesn't come from the power of our faith. It comes through the power of who our faith is in. And the the more we get to know Jesus and the more we learn to trust him and the more we see his character and the more we understand that this world is not our home, that everything in this world is passing away and that our life is just a vapor which appears for a short time and passes away. This leads to a great overcoming part of your life. There's some young people here today And I want to address you and just talk to you and just say to you that, you know what, you may at the moment be overcome by all the things that are in this world. You may be overtaken by the pleasures and by the temptations and by the promises of success and glory and fame or whatever it is. You may be overcome by all the attacks that come across your faith, all the ridicule, all the jokes, all the jests. And you know that you stand out because you're unique. There's something different about you, and that your friends don't understand about you. But let me just encourage you that you can either be overcome by this world or you can overcome this world through Jesus Christ. And you can live, again, not unaffected, but undeterred because your faith is in Christ and Christ alone. Faith is a gift. Saving faith is a gift. If you are believing here this morning, if you are trusting in Christ, it is because God did a supernatural work in your heart. And you ought to ask that question, why me, Lord? There ought not to be ever such a thing as a proud Christian. Because we understand that even the fact that we can believe in God is a gift from Him. This faith trusts entirely and solely in Jesus for our salvation and for our holiness and is evidenced by our love for God, our love for His commandments, and our love for His people. And it is through faith in Christ alone that we are victorious over the world. Whoever is in parliament, whoever is passing laws, whoever is saying whatever it is they're saying that it doesn't affect or shift or shake our faith because our faith was never in them in the first place. We are no longer slaves to sin or the world system, but we have overcome these things because Jesus overcame them for us. Now, brothers and sisters, walk in that victory. Jesus went before. He conquered sin and death. He's given you the victory. Walk it by faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together, and I thank you so much for your precious word. I thank you, Lord, for these precious people. Uh, Lord, who um, you love. Uh, You love more than, uh, than, than I could or anybody else could. And I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus who came to this earth, suffered, bled, and died, and who calls sinners to himself. And so I pray for your people, I pray that genuine faith would be in their hearts, that if anyone here is is trusting in their religion or anything else, that, Lord, you would open their eyes to their self-righteousness, cast it aside, and may they just fall at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I pray that you would help us to walk in that overcoming faith, that trust, that regardless of what happens around us, uh, that, Lord, we are safe and secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we look forward to our eternal home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.